This is Bill Kennedy with the Arden Labs podcast. And my special guest today comes all the way from San Francisco, Vanessa Ortiz. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me here. Brilliant. Okay, so to be fair, I've known uh, Vanessa for a little bit, right? I mean, known each other very well, but I remember after you moved from Berlin, coming to San Francisco and getting involved with some people in the Go community, uh, which is brilliant. So I want to explore all of that with you because even though we've met before and we've <laughs> talked, I've never really gotten your your full story. And so I think it's going to be great. But before we go back in time, why don't you give everybody uh, a two minutes where you are today and, and kind of what you're doing? So today I am a community advocate at Sourcegraph. I've been at Sourcegraph for the past three and a half years, more or less. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it there. I love the founders over there. I love the company. I do love the product. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about what Sourcegraph is doing and kind of like what your role is in helping promote that? Yeah. So Sourcegraph is a dev tool that helps with uh, code search and code intelligence, or basically the universal code search, um, the only universal code search solution out there, really. And uh, yeah, if, if you are struggling with finding you know, the code that you need to find and the abundance of codes that exist nowadays, especially now with the big code challenges that we face nowadays, and you need a product like Sourcegraph to help you out, um, we have been um, around for a while. Uh, people are starting to appreciate and use this more. It's also an amazing tool that helps with remote work as it makes the developer much more independent. Um, they can find solutions to their questions. They can um, really dive deep into the code and understand things much faster with uh, tools like find um Final references, go to definition, you will have those kinds of abilities on uh, across repositories, um, across code hosts as well. So you really have uh, no limitations whatsoever to find your code, to understand your code much faster. And yeah, that's what Sourcegraph does. It's basically a superpower for developers. I, I, I love, and the, and the GitHub integration, if you, if you put the the Sourcegraph plugin in your Chrome yep. browser, and then you start navigating GitHub. That alone is worth the price of admission. I, you know, I'm very comfortable with Go, so I tend not to need a lot more tooling than, than what I'm kind of getting, because Go is such a tools-oriented programming language. But I remember one day I had to start looking at some JavaScript node code, and I was pulling my hair out, and then I was like, Sourcegraph, what am I doing? And boom, I started to be able to navigate all of the code inside of GitHub in this repository. And I was just like, okay, I get it. Here we are. So it's brilliant. Yeah, that's the thing. We integrate with GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, like really all the main code hosts out there. And um, people love us for that because suddenly you have things that you would normally only have locally through your IDE, but now you can use them from your browser really and and then have all these abilities to make your your life much easier. Yeah. Brilliant. So we have the uh, browser extension for that. We have, um, of course, then the local installation that if you want. Um, we're on-prem. We're also going on the cloud soon. And yeah, 
there's there's a lot of exciting things coming our way. Nice. Okay, so within the scope of the next hour, we're going to get to how you end up at SourceGraph. But I want to ask you some questions that are going to happen a little bit earlier, and I may ask you for maybe how old you were or we get some dates, just so to give people perspective on, on where we're talking, okay? So okay. one of my most favorite questions, and then if you listen to the podcast, you, you hear me always kind of ask this first, is give me your kind of first memory of working on a computer and having one of those kind of like aha moments or that you did something and it was just super exciting. Like what's like the first memory that pops in your head? I think the first memory I would have, um, I was, I think I must have been five years old. And my dad took me to his um, work. He, he was an engineer and he took me to his office. I don't know what the situation was if we didn't have childcare or something happened and he had to take me with him to the office. And since he had to work and couldn't actually take care of me, he just sat me in front of this computer. Uh, this is like, I don't think it was even Windows. Maybe it was Windows. I don't, it must have been one of the super early versions of Windows. I remember these like very big disks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it had paint. So he sat me in front of the computer and he, he opened paint for me and, I, and, I, and he showed me how to draw on the computer. And that's how I spent the entire afternoon, just like drawing with the mouse trying to figure out the connection between mouse and display and seeing that I could use all these different tools to draw. And I think that's what really sparked my curiosity about for computers. So he basically was able to get a babysitter for hours because you were so consumed yeah. <laughs> with it. Did he give you any, I mean, you're five years old. I can't remember. The only thing I can remember when I was five was I drank some spoiled milk in kindergarten, never drank milk again. But that's a different, that's for a different day. Did, did he give you any sort of quick tutorial there? Or you just like, you think you just sat he there? He must have. I mean, he, he probably just sat me there and just like showed me, okay, this is a mouse. This is a computer. You move the mouse, this little thing moves. <laughs> and uh, if you click on this and then maintain this clicked and drag it along, you'll make a line and things like that. And I think that's just how he taught it. Wow. Okay, so and your father... I must have gotten it and just started painting. <laughs> so your father um, is an engineer. What kind of engineering did he do? He, he's a civil engineer. So back then he was building buildings. Okay. Um, okay, awesome. So that that's your first kind of memory there. So let's get to a little bit later than that. Like, um, did you have a computer at home at, at that point? Were you using the computer no. at all when you were? No, no, no. So, no. And this is and just for context. This was in the Dominican Republic. I was living in the Dominican Republic. Um, having a computer at home was very uncommon. At least this is, you know, back in the 1990s, uh, early 1990s. At least for Dominicans, it, it would have been very unusual to have a computer at home. Um, people had them at work. Uh, and I, I, imagine, of course, uh, engineering offices were a little bit more advanced and, than in other work fields. Um, yeah, so so there was, I didn't have a computer at home until I was probably 10 years old. 10, so another five years later, which kind of puts you now in 
a middle school. Well, I guess you're still in elementary school at that point, but. No, I was in fifth grade or sixth grade even. So by the time you're 10, now there's a computer in the house. Okay, so. And I've also changed locations. Mm. I've also changed locations, which is important for the story line as well. Um, at that, at, when I'm 10 years old, I am now living in Germany. Okay. So, wow, you remember that. That's a huge change, right? You're going from the Dominican Republic to Germany. Um, give me some thoughts on what's going in your head at 10 years old, because you're leaving friends. You're leaving something very familiar. Were you excited? Were you not excited? Was this like, what's going on in your head? Do you remember? I mean, of course, it was a huge culture shock. Dominican Republic and Germany are just so different to each other. Um, I mean, weather, culture, language, everything was new. Um, so it was definitely exciting times. Uh, the computer that we had at our house was actually a very old hand-me-down from our neighbor. Um, sorry, somehow my Siri turned on. Let me turn that off. Um, so yeah, uh, it was a very old hand-me-down from, from our neighbor. And of course my parents put the computer in my brother's room because <laughs> computers are for boys, not for girls. And they thought that, yeah, that he was the one who needed to have the computer in his room. My brother's younger than me, three years younger. So I was not happy about this. And, uh, and of course, whenever I wanted to use a computer, he wanted to play games and it was always a fight on who got to use the computer. So all of that's kind of interesting, right? Because I guess initially in the Dominican Republic, you're speaking Spanish, you're not speaking English. Um, I mean, English is, is not the language you speak in the Dominican Republic, but it is relatively common because of the tourism. And um, I, I was privileged enough to go to an American school uh, my parents really wanted to invest in our education, so um, I was really, really lucky that I got to go to an American school, which then facilitated later when we moved to Germany to learn German, because I, I find that the difference between English and German is not as big as Spanish to German. So when I was learning German, I actually had an American accent, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. All right, so the computer is in your brother's room. He's using yes. it to play games. What are you using it for? I was using it for the internet. Like for me, the internet was discovering that the internet existed and I could uh, like access any kind of information I wanted was was the best. I I really love that. I was a avid user of back then, you know, Yahoo and um, Astella Vista. Like this was before Google was was a major thing. Or at least, it, I think it might have already existed, I'm not sure, but it just wasn't as, as common. Um, and I just love that. I had an account at Fortune City, so I had a little profile page as well. Um, and I actually continued painting. Not, I mean, yes, on Microsoft Paint, but also uh, I upgraded to Photo Impact and then to one of the first versions of Adobe Photoshop, Adobe. Um, yeah, and I, I really enjoy like designing, I don't know. Actually, I, I started just doing these paintings or just like images of, I don't know, things that 11-year-olds draw, dolphins in front of sunsets and things like that. And 
I was so proud of my work that I wanted to, to publish it and show it to the world. So I built this uh, Fortune City click and drag website. Um, actually, it wasn't that. I don't remember. It was very easy to do it. And I uploaded those images. And I actually had people email me and talk to me and ask, ask me if, if I could design their, I don't know, rowing club logo or things like that. Um, so, and this is at yeah. 11 years old. So you're yeah. leveraging the computer in a very creative way. And you're, you're, you're creating art, you're building websites, um, you're yeah. getting, you're out there. How are you talking to these people? Because email over email, you're, are your parents yeah. monitoring any of that? No, I was very lucky. Yeah, I was very lucky that I think back then it was uh, not as common, I would say as today with like, predators and who knows who could have taken advantage of that no it was it was very a very innocent internet world back then um but you had an email address who set up your email address you set all that up uh i my neighbor no my neighbor helped me set up uh my bigfoot email address it was a bigfoot email address <laughs> back then yeah and i think one of the things that got me even more into into um, like using the computer was that because I had this page on Fortune City, there was this little counter on how many people visited the website. And I was so frustrated that that number was extremely low, of course. Um, and I thought about, so th something happened in Germany. This is, I think I was 12 years old, so it must have been 1997 or 1998 I'd have to look it up but there was a um, solar eclipse a total solar eclipse in Germany and there were a lot of people like it was in the media everyone was excited about it and I had this idea of like what can I do to bring a lot of people to my fortune city website and I had this idea of creating a, a list of links for webcams who would live stream the solar eclipse because not everyone could experience it, especially people outside of Germany. Um, so I created this really cool and long list of a ton of webcams that would be filming um, the solar eclipse. And on the day of the solar eclipse, I had 2000 viewers on my on my Fortune City website. And it was great. Like I was so proud and it was it was like the best experience ever. And what I did was actually SEO without knowing that it was SEO, right? Um it's more than that. It's more than that. It's more than SEO what you were doing. Like you were you, you were building a brand, you were building a presence, you were building relevance, right? Yeah. All under the idea that you wanted you wanted people to share my paint pictures. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's really interesting because you were learning skills already at 12 mm -hmm. that I have to imagine are still applying today as we as we get there. And this is 12 yeah. years old. So but then yeah, people on. started messaging me more about my images. And by, by that time, I had gotten a little better. Um, I was using better programs with Adobe and, and Photo Impact. And that's when I started getting even more requests for um, design, logo designs, also of internet groups. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I got more into the scene of uh, developing. But are you getting paid 
for any of this work? Are you doing it for free? Yes, that's when I started. No, that's when I started charging for for little, for those graphics. And because I started charging, uh, funnily, people took me as more professional, and then they started also asking for websites. And that's what got me into HTML, um, which back then it was really just HTML. I, I'm not sure if CSS even existed or it was really at the early stages. Um, but I started then learning how to build websites because I was getting those requests from from potential clients. Okay, time out, time out, time out, time out. You're, you're <laughs> like 12, 13 years old in Germany. At this yes. point, your parents don't really know what you're doing. So how do you say, Dad, I got a job and I'm going to get paid? Like at I some point, you got to go ask your parents, like, what's going Like, no? No, they didn't really understand what was going on. Like, my parents are zero technical at all. They just thought a computer is like a toy, like a game. They never used it themselves. Um, they didn't understand the internet. They, yeah, that this was, they, they just thought I was playing a game or something like that. But how are you getting paid? Well, my neighbor is very technical. My neighbor is very technical and he was like seeing this development. So he was the one who was supplying me, for example, with the um, design programs. He would, he would, he was the one who was giving me uh, Photo Impact and Adobe. And when he saw that I got really interested in building websites, he, he got me Macromedia, Dreamweaver and things like that. He was supplying me with all the programs. He couldn't really teach me how to do these things because he himself didn't design or, or build websites but he could supply me with the programs. Like he knew how to get those programs very legally, totally. And, and he helped <laughs> you. So then as you're charging and making money, I, I got so many questions here. I honestly, I don't remember. I think back then, because I didn't even have a bank account or anything like that. Right. I think we might've done it in a way that, okay, you transfer the money to him, to, to my neighbor, and then I get it from him, something like that. It, it also wasn't like- And your parents don't know? They, they probably knew. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they kind of thought that, I don't know, they, they kind of knew that I was doing something on the computer that was making money, but it wasn't a lot of money. We're talking like, I was very cheap. I was a child. I was asking for, I don't know, a hundred bucks for five logos or something like that, or five banners, advertising banners and stuff like that. Yeah, that's not cheap. Especially, oh. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think that's cheap. That's real money. I mean, you have no, like, this is super interesting. Okay, but we're going to move on. We're going to move on. Okay, so. Okay, okay. You kind of have a business going thanks to, what did your neighbor do? Do you know what your neighbor did for a living? That and I mean, so he's really mentoring you, right? He's, he's, a, he's a, yeah, he's a doctor. <laughs> he's, oh, okay. So. Yeah, so he, he was technical in the sense that he, you know, he used his computer every day and to put in the information for his patients and all that. Yeah. And he wow. was, he used, he actually knew how to use the internet and all these things. So, wow. So he was really mentoring you towards kind of mm -hmm. these things that you found a lot of interest in. And, and, and already at 13, you're, you're a professional web designer, logo <laughs> designer. You are, you're getting paid. You're a professional. Here we go. So, so now I get interesting. So let's say now you're, you're getting into kind of high school or that, whatever that is in, in Germany, right? From like say yep. 13 to 17 or whatever that is. Um, what I'm really curious about now is you moving into the high school years. Where are you spending your time? Are you doing 
things like sports or music or other things, or is all your time kind of dedicated yeah. to what you're doing here with yeah, this I was, computer? I, I was part of the swim team. Um, I was uh, I was playing the piano as well. Um, so I, I did have other activities other than this, but I didn't... I, I do know that I, I wasn't spending so much time with friends because um, I was, I don't know if I was an introvert or it was just that I didn't get along that well with the kids in my class in a sense that I thought what they were doing was boring. Like at that age, um, you know, like 15, 16, they were just meeting up in parks, drinking, smoking, talking about stupid things. And that was just not interesting for me at all. I thought it was a waste of time. And instead, I would spend actually a lot of time in the computer and, you know, learn HTML, learn CSS, started to learn JavaScript. Um, and I was, I was just more, I, I saw so much potential in, in computing. And I, I just thought those other things that the teenagers were doing was just not interesting for me. Um, so I was definitely more of the isolated type of kid. And my parents noticed that, and they were a little worried, but they were like, well, as long as she stays out of trouble, <laughs> it's okay. But you're growing a business at that point, even when you're 16, 17. I'm imagining the bus yeah. your business is still growing. You're, 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 you're doing more work. Yeah, at that point, I'm actually, I'm definitely earning more money as well. Um, so, but it was, it was, so my mom was really happy in a sense that she she brought me up in an interesting way that is very undominican. She told me since I was, you know, middle school that the moment I graduated from high school, I would leave home, that I would be on my own financially and I'd have to like the day of my graduation there would be a suitcase in front of the door and I would have to leave. <laughs> so oh. she was happy that I was finding, you know, something that would keep me afloat <laughs> once I move out of my home. Um, and she was she was like that. This is very Dominican. No Dominican mom would say that. No normal Dominican mom would say that everyone like everyone wants to keep their kids as close as possible to them. But my mom was just she she had this this idea of she wanted to to um, bring up very independent children that could fend for themselves. And that's how she brought us up. And and she she kept her word. <laughs> like the moment I graduated, I had to move out of the house. But that had to be a tremendous amount of stress and burden on you. She, I mean, she started she started preparing me for it young in a sense that she told me from the beginning, like, and she would remind me over and over again, like, you know, that when you finish high school, you're on your own. So like, start making a plan. <laughs> um, so I feel like probably subconsciously, I was just like working towards that goal of being able to sustain myself. <laughs> Okay, so luckily, as you are graduating high school, you're generating income. I don't know how, you know, you feel like you're making enough? It wasn't enough, enough to survive off. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really enough to survive. So I had, at that point when I graduated, once I graduated, I moved out um, and moved into a teeny tiny apartment, I remember, in the worst neighborhood of, of Cologne. And, um, but it was very cheap rent, so it was great. Uh, and I had a ton of jobs. <laughs> in the morning, I would refill printer cartridges. 
uh, because back then there were like little stations in the city. It was a thing where you would bring in your empty printer cartridge and then there was someone with like a syringe and would refill the colors. <laughs> and I was one of those people. Um, and then in the afternoon, I work at a pizza place as a telephone receptionist. And at night, I would babysit. Um, so that's kind of what I did until, because I, I knew I wanted to study, but before studying, starting with university, I wanted to travel. So I was doing all these odd jobs to save up money, and um, and I wanted to go to Costa Rica for for two months. That was my goal. Um, okay, I want I want to interrupt you for a second. I want to interrupt you for a second. Want, yes. During this time where you're working three jobs a day and you're you're living in this tiny apartment and you're kind of on your own. Did you ever feel any, forget about now, back then, did you feel any yeah. animosity against maybe your mom putting you in this situation? Like, did you feel like no. this was a burden and I can't believe I have to do this? Or was this more of a challenge? And yeah, what was your mindset back then? No it problem, no good. Burden. It, for me, it seemed like it was normal because she had told me that she had done something similar. Like back then when she was young, she wanted to go to university and her parents were against it because it was in a different city. And back then a, a young woman cannot live alone. Um, so she like left home and went to university and had to fend for herself too. So I knew it was possible. Like if my mom can do it, I can do it. And um, I felt like I was really well prepared for it. I, I'd only always been a pretty independent and um and i had discovered this additional income like even though i had those three jobs i also was still doing web design and websites on the side and actually at working at this um printer cartridge store i met a lot of people who had to print uh flyers and things like that who needed design so i would talk them up and be like hey don't you need a new design for this and that and that's i would actually start sourcing clients from from the um printer cartridge so shop so, wow. it so, out. so you had almost no free time, honestly, right? I mean, yeah. you were, <laughs> you were, which can keep you out of trouble, and you're making money. So, yeah. So, and your the the your goal right now is university, but your first goal is to be able to travel to Costa Rica. Why so Costa Rica, and how long does it take for you to get there? So, um, it didn't take long. I I had looked at the university in my city, University of Cologne, and I had actually looked at the CS program and I didn't like it. It was very old fashioned. Um, it had like Delphi in the curriculum and just very, very old stuff. None of the things that I had been teaching myself. Um, so I was too disappointed with the curriculum and decided, okay, this is not for me. I'm going to go for my other passion, which was political science, languages. And I found this study called Latin American Studies that encompassed um, political science and sociology and, and languages. So I went for that. But I decided that before I start study Latin American studies, I want to get to know another Latin American country since I only knew the Dominican Republic. And that's why I chose Costa Rica because um, it felt like it, it felt like a safe country to travel to alone because I was gonna head there on my own without knowing anyone. Um, and I really wanted to work at a national park because the area where I had grown up in the Dominican Republic was very jungly, very jungle-like. So, Vanessa, up till this point of the story, um, you you are programming and designing 
and you're doing these things from a very early age. You're also doing a bunch of odd jobs, which ends up helping to support this tech business that you have. And then suddenly I hear you say, well, my other passion is, uh, or is it political science? And where is that coming from? Because I haven't heard one thing from you yet about that side of your passion. So where is that coming from? And I find it super interesting that because you didn't like the curriculum in your local town for the, you, you immediately say, now I'm not going to study that. I'm going to study something which seems to me right now completely foreign to everything you're doing. I, I need to understand that. I think it's like in hindsight, I should have probably checked with other cities and maybe their you know, um, curriculum would have been much more up to date or better especially like cities like um, Karlsruhe in the south of Germany where with the Kitt University, um, they're, they're much more up to date in their curriculum and are much more re-owned. But I think the problem was the day that I went to visit the university, it was like an um, open door at the university that would allow high school students to get to know all the different majors and so on. I, I happened to go to one of the presentations for Latin American studies and I liked it so much that I just thought like, you know what, maybe maybe CS is just not the right way and I can just keep teaching myself because I had been successful, you know, enough to earn money um, until that point um, that I thought like, well, maybe I can just have a different student experience but continue working um, in IT on the side um, and just, yeah, just do both basically. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> I, and I can see you saying, look, I haven't, I, need, I haven't needed formal study. I, I'm getting paid for this. So this is my opportunity to yeah. maybe learn and do something else because I'm going to have this anyway. But what was so attractive to you on the, on the Latin studies? What, what did you think was the end game of that? Uh, I was thinking I was going to end up working for the UN. That was kind of the end goal. Um, Cause I, I had, during uh, during my high school years specifically, I had read a lot of Noam Chomsky. I was really into history in general. Um, I had I had definitely dedicated also some time to just educating myself on political science and and um, all kinds of social movements. And it was and, and I was passionate about languages. Like at that point, I speak four languages, um, so I I thought it would be a good combination. And I. I really liked what the UN had been doing for decades and thought, yeah, maybe I should join them. Okay. So you go to Costa Rica, you're, you do this Latin studies over there while you're over there as well. No, no, no. I, I just, I was, I was just in the middle of the rainforest, like working as a park ranger in Costa Rica. And I also worked at a little refugee camp. Um, I was really just volunteering and just taking in the Costa Rican culture and, and learning along the way. But then when I came back from Costa Rica, I started my formal Latin American studies. Gotcha. How long were you over there doing that? You were there for like three months? Two months, two months, yeah. Two months, okay. So you do that for two months, which could be a whole another podcast because I got a million questions there. But you come back, <laughs> you come back and now you start your Latin. So you're still working those jobs. No, 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 at that point- computer jobs, um, no? So the beauty of Germany is that it's very, very supportive 
for, to its students. Um, so as soon as I started with university, I was eligible for um, financial support from the government to study so that I could def I, I got rid of all my odd jobs and I was really only being a student and doing the web design work. <laughs> um, so I was still the web, a web development wow. web designer, uh, but I, I would get enough support from the German government to pay for my rent, for example. Okay. And I have to imagine that technology is, you know, technology is moving fast at that point too. So you're also mm -hmm. having to keep up with the latest in HTML, CSS, maybe like ASP, service side script. Like you're doing all of that, right? Like you're trying to keep up with that while you're getting your degree. Yeah. So that was really, it was, it was like leading a double life because on the one hand I have these clients and customers who are definitely demanding more things. I had to get into e-commerce, for example. I was I was working with a lot of smaller businesses who couldn't afford a proper agency and had then the benefit of, of using me, who was much, much cheaper, unfortunately, um, but could do design and development at the same time. Uh, so I had those kinds of clients, but they also had increasing needs of not just a pretty website, but also now integrated with e-commerce and have that somehow functioning. And they would always come with these requests to be like, oh, can can you, you know, can we do an online shop? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know how to do an online shop. Of course, of course. Yeah, we can do that. And then be like looking up all the tutorials I could find online <laughs> and, and just learn on the go. Um, but it was it was fun. It was great. I love that challenge. I don't know. I'm exhausted trying to think about how you're doing. Even if you had just two or three clients with that kind of level of demand and your studies, I... I'm exhausted already just hearing all this. So it's amazing. I can't claim I was the fastest student. It did take me, uh, how long did I study? Five years yep. to do a, that, that kind of study doesn't exist anymore. So it wasn't a bachelor, but it was a kind of combination of a bachelor and a master that back then in Germany, we called it a diplom. So I'm like at the level of a master's student. And that did take me, uh, wait, when did I start? Yeah, I mean, it it took me six years to do that. I could have done it faster. <laughs> Are you developing any sort of friendships in these five years? Or are yeah, you still of kind of isolating yourself between? No. Like, you, you, you're starting to have a social life in between all this too, right? I mean. Yeah, finally, like the people I met at university was so different to the high school people. It was like, those are finally my people. I was I was really blooming in that environment. The, I, I didn't meet anyone I could talk to um, about, you know, web development at all. Like that was, it's such a Latin American studies student are very non-technical more in a way. I, I formatted so many resumes. <laughs> 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 so it was like, it was a very different world in that aspect. But, um, but they were just amazing people, very, you know, global citizens. I got to travel a ton during my studies. That's also why I do not regret whatsoever studying Latin American studies. My life as a Latin American studies student is so different to that of a CS degree student. I was, I traveled to, I don't know, probably like 30 different countries just during my studies. Um, got to go to all kinds of conferences. Um, I did a study abroad in San Diego, but also at the same time one in Tijuana, Mexico, because I really wanted to study the border. I did uh, a South South America backpacking trip for nine weeks. I did, I went to China to do a lot of things. 
What are your clients doing without you while you're traveling? What do you mean I, without me? We have internet connection and I can just communicate with them through email. I was working remote. Oh, <laughs> wow. So you, you, that's okay. So none of that tech work really gets disturbed while you're, you're traveling and going through China and going through. Like I you're doing remote work before anybody. Like you, you should have written a book on how to handle remote work before everybody was really talking about it. Like, you, look at, think about the experience. Maybe. You were ahead of everybody's time. Yeah, but it, you were? I guess if you look at it that way. It was very, yeah, it was a very interesting, um, I don't know why my Siri keeps popping up. It was a very interesting experience for sure. And I just, I tried to make it work. I wanted to do all these, I wanted to have all these experiences of traveling at the same time I needed the uh, additional income to just sustain myself and, and be able to afford all that. So made it work. Okay. So you graduate with the goal of wanting to work at the UN. Does that happen? Well, fun fact, no, because the last year when I was um, still a university student and working towards my thesis, uh, I had the opportunity to work as an overseas researcher for the Lund School of Economics and for Stanford. It was like a collaborative project. And I uh, got to do some research in South America, in Argentina and Chile, regarding labor rights and women's rights and indigenous rights. And there I had the chance to work with UN, with people who worked at the UN and also with um, activists and, and a lot of interesting people. And it gave me a really good insight on how my life and my work would be as a UN employee. And while I loved the research and the people I met throughout the project, I, I, I realized that I didn't want to put myself in a situation where the organization I was working with would determine where I live and what projects I work with. And I also realized that the whole UN work was too slow paced for me. So I did this research, I, I gave in my research papers and, and I realized nothing happened. I was expecting, you know, policies to come out of this that would help with indigenous rights, but it just, it just ended up not happening. And I realized that it's such a complicated mechanism where so many different parts have to work for things to move on and it happens at a very slow pace um, that I, I would not be happy with that, especially having that contrast life of working with small businesses who demanded websites and e-commerce pages that were you know built in two months or a month and suddenly they would see instant results of increasing revenue or it would even save their businesses and so on. So I could see that immediate uh, gratification that I did not get from the UN work at all. The impact you were you were having impact that you could visibly see and be appreciated for, and you all you weren't going to get that. It was going to be the quite quite the opposite. It sounds like. Yeah, it was going to be yeah. a much more frustrating life, and I just I realized I didn't have the personality for that. It had to be someone who's more patient and dedicated, very long term thinking who could who can really endure the difficulty that comes with working for, for the UN, which is very important work, but it just takes a long time. <laughs> and I, I found out I wasn't patient. Okay. So what's going on now then? You come, you come back to Germany, you've graduated. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of the UN is no longer really viable. Yeah. 
You've been making yep. money since you're 13, building websites and helping clients with their technical needs on the internet. So do I guess to say you decide that you're gonna go hedge down in your tech business? That's it? Yep. Yep, I moved to Berlin. I think that made a, made a huge impact. Uh, so I was living in Cologne at that point, and then I moved over to Berlin, which was even then already the startup hub. This is like around 2013, 2014. Um, and it's the startup hub of Europe and everything's moving fast paced. There are meetups, tech meetups all over the place. Uh, very similar to the vibe that you get here in, in San Francisco pre-pandemic. And um, yeah, and and I, I was finally among people who I could talk to that knew about development and knew about programming. And I and that's when I finally realized how much knowledge gaps I have because I had only learned what my customers needed, but there was so many, so much basic knowledge that I that I never acquired. I didn't study CS, so I didn't acquire it there either. Um, and but talking to these people and go to these meetups, I, I like find out all these things like what on earth is HTTP? I mean, yes, I've seen it a bunch of time, but I actually never took the time to research how it works properly. And um, just the, the most basic things I was missing. And I realized I had to, I had to somehow learn all this or else I would not be able to sustain myself as a as a web developer. Now, this is interesting to me, Vanessa, because let's I, like when I hear you say that, I, I want to pull you back because the reality was that you were solving problems for clients who were learning how to do the things they needed to do. And, and knowing how HTTP work wasn't one of them, right? You were you were getting things done. And so what I find interesting is you end up in a, in a tech city with people who know internals and people who know things. But I feel like what's happening to you right now is that, well, I, I think I need to know this or I'm not at the same level as these people. But you were beyond the level of these people because you were already solving problems for the last, what, 10 years or something, right? I mean, were you feeling like you were way behind and you couldn't measure up. I, I, I'm really curious what was going on. For sure. I realized I had so many knowledge gaps. Even I knew I could I knew I could build websites and I could build e-commerce sites and I could do all these things. But at a at a very practical level, and I realized that and 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 whenever I would encounter issues, I would have to, of course, research it and find out. But I, because I was always solving problems, I never took the time to learn all the theory behind it and all the basics that would have probably saved me a bunch of time whenever I was solving other problems um, and also limited my ability to know what was out there and what would I what I could actually build based on everything that was available. So what happens once you you, you form this conclusion in your head, right? Mm -hmm. And we can debate some of that, but you're still, you still have clients, you're still solving problems, you're still doing things. You, you form this conclusion. What's your next step? What do you decide to do next? I decide I have to find a way to fill these knowledge gaps as soon as possible. So I knew I didn't want to go back to university and study CS. And instead I, I had heard about boot camps. So I researched on um, 
all, all over the internet uh, for boot camps that would teach Python because at that point I had already chosen Python as a programming language that I wanted to learn properly. And the only boot camp I could find was Hackbrite in San Francisco. And um, I thought, well, I mean, if, if I'm really going to take some time off and just dedicate myself fully to learn this, then I might as well go to the Mecca of software engineering. And yeah, I decided to apply to Hackbrite. Wow. Okay. Hold on a second before we get there. Before, okay. Because I met you for the first time in San Francisco, I think, just after you had moved from Berlin. So that's interesting. But you were involved already in some Go community stuff. When you met me, um, that was 2000, must have been 2017. Well, I'm, I'm still in 2015 okay. when I first oh, okay, went to San okay. Francisco. You met me the second time okay. I moved to San Francisco. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so you go to San Francisco, you get accepted, you go to San Francisco, this is like a three-month boot camp? Yep. So uh, I think I was the first international student to apply to Hackbright. I think until then they had never had an international student before. And uh, yeah, and I, I miraculously got accepted. I remember their acceptance rate was extremely low. It was like 7% or 5% or something like that. And, um, and I love that it was an all, all women's boot camp because I thought it was like, oh, great. Like it's really just going to be super supportive among among other women and it's just uh, there's going to be like zero distractions with anything <laughs> and and we're just going to be there and i'm going to finally meet other women who code because that was also something that i was severely lacking i had already been very isolated growing up in cologne so i actually never never experienced like i never experienced feeling a minority um while i lived in cologne because i i felt like I didn't know anyone anyway <laughs> who was a, a developer there. Oh, I forgot to mention, I did work at the IT department of my university as well. And there I was the only female IT person. Um, that's the first time I actually encountered the bias against women and that they they never listened when I explained things. <laughs> and, but at that point, I was already so confident because I had already worked with so many clients um, that it didn't bother, bother me at all. Like whenever, they, whenever I would be explaining things like, no, you have to do it this way and this way. And I would notice that they're actually not listening when I'm saying, I would like literally just push their chair away, do it. And then they'd be like, I, I would actually get comments like, oh, I've never had a woman explain something to me. Like they would be that oh. direct. <laughs> and I was like, well, first time for everything. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, but then and in Berlin, I experienced the same thing. Like there was this, a, a ridiculous, I, I was, that's where I really felt like, okay, I I'm actually am a minority. It's not just one woman among the 10 people in the IT department of the university. It's like one woman among hundreds of people in this meetup. Um, there, there really is a huge minority of women. Um, so I was really excited about Hackbrite and that it was all women that would meet much more women who were into coding. Um, so yeah, I 2015, I put everything I owned in a storage and just packed my bags and went to Hackbrite. <laughs> and was it everything that you were hoping it would be? Did it fill in the gaps that you yes. needed filled in? Oh my gosh, yeah. I realized how much I didn't know. And it was amazing. It was very intense and it was great. Um, it set, it really set up the all the basics that I was missing um, or at least also gave me empowered me to learn more 
uh, about what I was missing. And um, yeah, it was exactly what I needed. I'm, I'm, it changed my life in so many ways. It was, great. it was an amazing experience. What I'm, what I'm struggling here with is the fact that you were giving your clients value, that you were productive. You're giving your clients value. Your clients are happy. They're paying you. You're, you, you're, you're doing all these things, and you still felt like you were maybe not as qualified as you. I think you were, and I'm happy that this school got you where you wanted to be. But after school, you're you're continuing to work with your clients, right? Mm -hmm. So, are are you gonna so? What is the tech now that you're giving your clients? Is it better? Do you feel it's better? Are you working more productively? Is this something you should have done three years earlier? Because when I decided I wanted to learn Python, I decided I wanted to move away from web development and I wanted to become a backend developer. So I knew I had to sunset my relationship with the clients. And what I did was I had already moved them all over to WordPress websites because that was, <laughs> that was the easiest way to you know include e-commerce into their website. And I forced them to learn how to edit their own websites. So I would record videos with them, teaching them, okay, this is how you upload a new image. This is how you add a new product. This is how you do this. This is you do that. And then I would give them outrageous prices um, for contacting me. Like if you have a question, you will, you have all these YouTube videos that you can access and you can either email me and pay this amount of outrageous money, or you can check your video and do it yourself. Um, so it's like complete financial suicide, really. But it was giving me the freedom to pursue my new goal, which was becoming a backend developer. You're again ahead of the curve. Again, you're you're ahead of the curve. You you found a strategy that would take care of your clients without burning bridges, recording everything, and then saying it's going to cost you like. These are really important strategies that can take companies years to figure out. And here you are, like, it's amazing to me. I finish Hackbright and I decide that I love San Francisco, that I don't want to go back to Berlin. I'm, I'm, I've, I already drank the Kool-Aid. I was like, this place is amazing. I thought Berlin was awesome, but San Francisco is way more like on the pulse of time. I can, if I have issues, I remember for my Hackbright project, I was working, um, on an app for a children's aid project and there was and I was including Twilio into the app because I wanted the ability to update profiles via SMS because there's no guarantee that you actually have internet in remote areas. That's also a complete own podcast for itself. But I was working with Twilio with the Twilio API and there was an issue. Um, there were there, there was something that wasn't working and I, I reread the docs like a million times and there was just no way to find out why it wasn't working. And I decided I'm going to go over to Twilio, knock on their door and tell them that something's wrong with their API and they have to fix it with me. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't know how I got that concept. I contacted someone who works at Twilio and I told them I'm having these issues. I'm going to come over and I need your help. And then they contacted me with some developer in Twilio. And that developer sat down with me for an hour to figure out what was going on. And I was right. There was like the documentation wasn't up to date. There was something that wasn't doing working the way it should. And I realized like this is a city where when you encounter an API problem, you can go to the actual company and they will help you. 
And I don't get that anywhere else in the world. So I want to stay here. This is where I'm going to grow exponentially. Um, so I decided I was going to stay in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, however, of course, as a German citizen, that's not as easy. And um, I thought I could achieve that by just getting a job. And uh, I applied for multiple jobs right after Hackbright to, to stay in San Francisco and get a job. And I actually got a job offer that introduced me to Golang, into Golang. Um, but the visa didn't work out, so I had to go back to Berlin. <laughs> oh, so you must have felt a little crushed at that point. You're like... Yes and no. So the reason why I wasn't that crushed is because, um, first of all, I was even able to get a job right after boot camp, which I thought was awesome. Like I was able to get a job in San Francisco, the most competitive city in the world. Um, and it worked out. And that experience of getting a job, um, uh, getting a job offer was, um, was what brought me to go because I applied for, uh, I applied for a role that was supposed to be front end and, or at least that's what I thought it would be because I sent them my resume. They knew that I was, uh, that I had experience with JavaScript and Python and all these things. And they were a JavaScript and go shop. Um, so I never considered being interviewed for a go position. However, when the day of like the day of the interview, uh, I got a coding challenge that was for five hours. I had to build something and it was completely hands off. It was like, okay, the timer goes off now. And in five hours, you have to send us the the working app and it turns out that app wasn't go i knew nothing about go i didn't have go installed and the email said specifically do not contact us we will not respond to any questions and i was like damn <laughs> okay well this is your life like you were preparing for this your whole life right i mean you've been doing this since you're 13. yeah but yeah there i was having five hours time to build my first Go app without even having Go installed on my laptop, not even like knowing anything about Go. Um, so yeah, I immediately, of course, like went through all the tutorials I could find. Um, thank God for GoTour. <laughs> GoTour totally saved me. Some tutorial about HTTP server saved me. Um, and and I managed to actually build the requested web app with the majority of the features, not all of them, but the majority of the features. And I added like tiny security features that I thought were really important that they hadn't mentioned. And then when it came and, and I was just floored that after five hours of not even knowing what Go was, um, I was able to build something that compiled and worked. And I fell in love with Go. That, that was like the moment I fell in love with Go. But that's super, I, I, in all honesty, with everything that you've told me up to this point, you were really preparing for those moments. That, that's where you shined. You were, you were kind of always in that situation, right? And you found your way out by providing practical solutions. Oh, yeah. It gave me all the basics, like having, knowing Python and knowing how to, I knew how to build something like that in Python, but I had to like, translate it all over and to go and, of course, that things work very differently there. So, yeah, all all the tutorials I could find online really saved me <laughs> in that situation. So, when you get back to Berlin, 
I guess you're looking for a job again, right? You're not doing yes. your client work anymore. You're done with that. But I'm looking for a Go job. Like I was so determined. I was like, no, I love Go. I want to work in Go. Um, so I specifically was only searching for Go jobs. And, and I is that lucky. when you start to find the Go community or mm -hmm. your... So I know there was a... While I was in San Francisco, I, I went to one of the Women Who Go events and I loved it. Like it was, it was such a great experience. Um, I, I loved everyone involved, and um, Sarah was amazing. Like she, she was so motivating and and really encouraging. And she was the one actually who proposed, like, hey, if you're going back to Berlin, why don't you just start a group there? Like we could really use another chapter. Um, so when I got to Berlin, uh, I really wanted to learn Go, and I, I did go to the Go meetup, but whoa, women ratio there was very very low not um non -existent. It, was, <laughs> it was me and uh i think really just one maybe two more women and 200 men something it was like the ratio was ridiculous um and i i really liked you know the camaraderie that i felt at women who go in san francisco and i was like oh, i'd like that and i want to have more women go developers because it's it's just if we can mass produce women Go developers and this whole minority majority issue is going to dissolve by itself. It's really just giving them access to this kind of knowledge and they'll they'll thrive. So um, I started Women Who Go and I, I remember I tweeted it. I just I, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to make a Women Who Go meetup and I'll just see how it goes. And I was so lucky that Julius Voltz saw my tweet. I don't know how, but he saw my tweet and... Uh, he retweeted and commented about it and said he really liked this idea. And he became one of the first mentors um, in, in the Women Who Go Berlin group. And that's kind of how it started off. You moved back to San Francisco at some point, maybe a year after that? Yes, a year <laughs> later. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I lived in Berlin um, for a year, almost a year. Uh, after coming back from San Francisco. And the reason why I ended up back in San Francisco is that 2015, when I went to do Hackbrite, I met my now husband, Alan Hamlet, who's the maker of Walk-A-Time. And um, it was kind of, it was, it was really fate. <laughs> it's like a really nice love story in a sense that when I was in Berlin 2014, going to all these tech meetups, some random guy told me about this awesome website called Walkatime that tracks your your programming activity, which is awesome when you're you know learning how to code or if like in my situation when you're working with different clients and you want to make sure that you're billing them correctly for all the different projects you're working on. And I started using Walkatime, and then fast forward to 2015 when I'm in San Francisco um, heading to a Hackbrite class, I see this guy with a Walkatime T-shirt walking in front of me. And of course, I couldn't resist, and I walk over to him and tap him on the shoulder and say, "Like, hey, you work for Walkatime? That's awesome! I love Walkatime. I use it every day." Da 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 da. And uh, I gave him my card. I, I had a card, <laughs> a business card, and I gave it to him. And I told him, "Hey, I have to run to class, but yeah, d definitely contact me and uh, let's meet up. And maybe you can help me optimize my profile and blah blah." I don't know what I told him, but he actually emails me and meets up with me and fails to mention that he's actually the maker, like the one, it's a one-man show, so it's like he's actually the maker of Walk-A-Time. That's funny. Um, 
and yeah, we started dating and he followed me all over, even to Berlin. We had only been dating for like three months or four months and he wow. followed me to Berlin. He gave up his life in San Francisco. Uh, we moved to Berlin. Um, we lived there for a year where I was working at uh, Lovu as a Go developer, actually managed to, to get nice. a Go dev job. Um, and, uh, and in the summer he proposed. 2016 and we got married pretty quickly November 2016 and um, Wow, yeah, and then we decided we wanted to go back to San Francisco And then you needed to find another job. Oh, but you're married at that point. So the visa issue isn't as big of a deal So the visa is resolved gotcha. <laughs> I but, got a marriage green card. Yep. So but you're gonna work so now you're back in San Francisco. You've got a couple of years of Go development experience under your belt, which is yep. fantastic. Yeah. And then is that when you find SourceGraph or you're doing something before that? No. Um, so it took quite a while for me to get the work permit. It took like eight months or so. Um, so, yeah, once I had my work permit, I had actually met the, te the SourceGraph team during GopherCon um, in Denver. 2017 uh, and I didn't know about the product at that point I didn't know what Sourcegraph did but I, I just instantly connected with the team and we went together to have some pizza and I just got along with everyone so I kind of fell in love with the team first and then when I found out about the product I was like oh, why didn't I have this while I was learning to program this would have made my life so much easier and I was I, I was instantly, of course, convinced that this was the tool I wanted to work with because it would make everyone's life much easier who wanted to program and could bring programming to so many people. So uh, I applied and um, yeah, I got the job luckily. But what I, what I find interesting, because remember, we, we start this podcast with you being at Sourcegraph and you're not a software developer there. You're, you're doing kind of like developer relations, right? You're, you're trying to help promote the product to developers. Um, and yet you, you were an engineer from the time you're 13. And I find people have a really hard time letting go of the engineering, uh, moving, moving within their career. So mm -hmm. what I'm super interested in is, was it a struggle for you to let go of the engineering side of that? As a, as a core developer on the product and where's your head today on on that decision so once i joined sourcegraph i went actually through multiple stages in the sense that i was hired as a go developer but the need was higher in the front end side so i actually switched very quickly to the front end team um, and was working on the web app and what what led to me leaving engineering was a significant life change, which was I became a mother. And I struggled a lot in doing engineering and balancing motherhood with it because um, some people don't know this, but some women suffer a lot from brain fog um, after giving birth, so postpartum um, from you know breastfeeding and just the toll that it that it takes to build a human being inside of you, <laughs> it leads to a significant, uh, it, it can lead for some women to have a, a very much brain fog, which then limits our ability to focus well. Um, just a lot of the way my brain worked before changed. 
and it was making my code worse. I noticed that my code reviews got longer, that I was looking at things that I built and I was like, why did I do it this way? This doesn't make sense. What was I thinking at that point? And um, I felt I was holding back my team in many ways and I didn't want that. So I had to find ways to still you know, use my ability, use my um, experience that I had at Sourcecraft because at that point I had already been in Sourcecraft for, I mean, I got hired pregnant, but um, I, I had very good six months of production <laughs> before I gave birth. So I was able to, to leave a certain amount of legacy during that time. And then when I came back from maternity leave is when the, I realized that I was starting to struggle. Um, but I was still an engineer until 2019, September 2019, um, is when I then started switching over to more marketing roles that definitely worked more with the new abilities you had acquired through motherhood and also um, didn't require this like sharp, sharp focus that I needed for, for coding um, that I just couldn't sustain with the brain fog. But I think that your long history of engineering and solving problems, being in the dark in many cases and finding solution is a huge asset to Sourcegraph in the position you have now. I hope so. <laughs> because you're interacting with user. I, I, I think it is. I think you get to kind of see what where those where developers you can you have empathy for developers because you've been in that chair. Yeah. And you know what they're struggling with. And you know you wish what you had at the time and what they don't. And then you're able to go back to engineering and translate that. I think you have this amazing kind of space and experience there that companies I know many companies that are they're dying to have somebody like you in the position that you're in. It's such a critical role to have someone like you um, be able to do that. It really is. I, I, I can see companies that are struggling when they don't have it. Just their UI, their UX, their ability to interact with others just comes yeah, down, I, right? I do feel that once I switched over to the marketing team, um, we, we had been uh, searching, like wanting to grow the marketing team for a while, but it, it I mean, Sourcegraph was in a position where we were very focused on building this amazing product and just wanted to make sure that we were we had it all prepared for market fit and that we were really fulfilling developers' values um, and developers' needs. And once we got to that point and started seeing an increase on demand and seeing an increase on adoption, that's when we kind of felt more confident, okay, now we can start doing more marketing and trying to reach as many people as possible and now also reach out to a community that can that can grow and can just benefit from from what Sourcegraph has to offer. Um, and yes, I, I do feel like now working with with more experienced marketing people, I do feel like they they ask me questions like, is this how would this be perceived by a developer? Is this really like because normal traditional marketing strategies aren't necessarily fruitful among developers. So we have to definitely consider the developer mindset, what they're searching for, and they tend to want really um, a certain, they want honesty and they want, um, they want to know that we're not taking pro like advantage of them, but we're actually helping them with their needs and that that is our main goal. And luckily that aligns with Sourcegraph's mission. Like our main, main goal, and we have that on our handbook, is to bring coding to as many people as possible. And 
that also makes it very easy for me to work in the marketing team because that that has always been my goal as well. I was involved in women who go for a reason. I was also actually involved in Pi Ladies in Berlin. And I want that as well. My experience with coding is something I want to spread to as many people as possible. So are you enjoying this new role now and what you're able to do in this yep. role as opposed to just being an engineer? I do miss engineering, don't get me wrong, but I also know it just doesn't work with my current lifestyle. I'm I'm a mother of two little beautiful children now and sleep deprivation and <laughs> and just the toll it takes to build little humans um, is something that doesn't align well and doesn't work well with engineering, at least for me. I know some amazing women who are able to still endure it all and somehow like are super people. But um, but I, I, I was struggling with it and I, I want to go back to engineering once I can recover from this and I feel I can focus fully again in in the way I, I could. And until then, I am I love working with community. That's something I've always loved to do on the side. Um, so it just felt natural. Also within Sourcegraph, like it was kind of a no-brainer that I would then shift over to a more community-focused position. So as we're here near the end of this amazing story, um, I get the sense that you were kind of brought up to be this entrepreneur from the very beginning, from your parents. You were taking advantage of opportunities. You were out there hustling. You were learning the things you needed to do to allow the people that were asking you for help to be successful. You had this amazing kind of upbringing, some of it out of just the love of design and creativity, some of it maybe out of necessity. Um, I find it super interesting that when you get to Berlin and you start meeting people who are more technical than you, you start to see what you don't know and maybe how some of that could have helped you and your clients and your initial thing is, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this stuff because it's going to make me better. And you just, every step of the way, you just go, okay, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it happen. And you make it happen. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. Some of it you've done on your own. Some of it you did with the help of others. So as, I, as I'm summing all this up, and now you're in this, this great place with this great company, you met the great guy, you got a beautiful family. Um, I, I have to imagine that there are other people like kind of in this same situation. And I, and I, and I want to say to them, listen to Vanessa's story because she found passion in all of these things and she never gave up and she kept moving forward and made positive choices and positive things happen. So, you know, am I right? Am I wrong? Is this, is this kind of part of the story that I just heard? Is there anything they're missing that maybe you want to add? I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely a determined person, but I also acknowledge that I, I was very lucky in so many ways. Like the fact that I was, um, at, in my older years when, that I was able to live in Germany where, you know, being a student is basically subsidized by the government. So it makes it easier to, um, not have to keep odd jobs, but focus on your studies. Um, and then also, you know, run a web development, uh, side gig, um, and, the fact that I I got to go to Berlin that offers a variety of free meetups that can like where you can acquire so much knowledge 
yeah, it's I it was just a combination of determination and also just the ability to access all this information. That's something that I know not everyone has access to, but I'm sure we're we're all working towards making it easier. But I think some of it also is fighting the fears, right? Like that might have been an uncomfortable situation, maybe, but you fought it because you know at the end of the day that was the best thing for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every everyone starts off as a newbie, right? And then the the interesting thing about engineering is that you're all you're always a newbie because it never stops. It's just it's always ongoing, and you just have to jump into the river and swim as strong as you can, and <laughs> just get used to it, and just try to learn as many swim techniques as you can. Brilliant. Okay, Vanessa, let everybody know here at the end, and we'll put in the show notes, how they can reach out to you if they have questions about a little, you know, about your story, and if they have questions about them themselves. And, and, and because I think what's nice here is there are going to be people who relate to your story and where they are today. And it'd be nice to talk to you maybe a bit about it, you know. So how can people yeah. kind of reach you on the internets? They can definitely find me on Twitter under Vanessa Codes. And yes, Vanessa's written with one S, V-A-N-E-S-A Codes. Uh, my parents really wanted to name me in the Spanish way, so that's how it is. So yeah, I think Twitter is the best way to reach me. Okay, brilliant. So there you are, Twitter. All right, thank you for spending what ended up being an hour and a half of your time with us today. I really appreciate you telling your story. So amazing story, Thank and I got for to. Thank you having me here. This was fun. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, it's it's been a while since I like really went through my entire life that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but super interesting. And now even your story kind of fills in some gaps for me, a little bit on when we met and and all that. So I I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. This is Bill Kennedy with the Art Labs podcast saying thank you for listening and hope to see you next time. <laughs>